And before we go into the word this morning, I want us to pray over our nation and, uh, and just uh, uh, especially, uh, and there might be some petitions that immediately come to your mind uh, as you think about the nation, but uh, I want you also uh, specifically just to right now begin to think about the, the proclamations that you could make, maybe proclamations that agree with the founders, proclamations that agree with the spirit of Jesus. You know, the, this last year I've had more and more downloads uh, out of Isaiah chapter 6 and verses 9 and following. And uh, out of these downloads, then I started getting more and more ornery in my prayer times with the enemy. And here's the download. It says, his name will be Wonderful Counselor, Prince of Peace, Mighty God, all of that, right? And then it says, the government shall be on his shoulders, and of the increase of the government of peace, or of his peace, there shall be no end. Now, you remember reading that? If you sang that in choir in high school, it was Handel's Messiah, right? How many of you have sung Handel's Messiah? So the, the problem is, is that theologians came along, and I believe it's been the influence of the enemy, uh, have come along and said, oh, yeah, now, uh, they were excited about it. I don't know why Handel was excited about that, by the way. Why was Handel excited about that? Must have had some revelation, I don't know. But modern theologians have come along and said, calm down, calm down. That's not going to happen until after the rapture. Calm down, calm down. And so we've, got, we've gotten all negative and, and we've got all focused on a lot of negative stuff happening instead of a lot of good stuff happening, right? And so then also when we look at government, we start thinking, well, you know, uh, you know we don't know if there's any hope for government. But I want to encourage you that, here's what I believe, that with the advent of Jesus and his ascension, Isaiah 9, 6 and following started happening. Now the government shall be on his shoulders. And, and so what happened is also, and this is why I think Romans 13 is written the way it is, is that those who are ministers of government are meant to be ministers of God. And so what's happening is Jesus is actually in charge, ruling from the heavenly Jerusalem, and he's ruling as the perfect man. Giving you way too much theology, we were supposed to pray, but, but having a little bit of theology is good because actually there is somebody in charge right now, and it's not Donald Trump, uh, and it's not any other ruler or leader that we could name. Actually, the one in charge right now is Jesus Christ. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And of the increase of the government of his peace, there shall be no end. Now, here's what's happened is actually it's very powerful. It's prophetic and powerful if the bride would agree with the husband. When the bride does not agree with the husband, married people, you know that if there's division, that means two visions, it means we have trouble in the home. And where there's a lack of unity, Psalm 133, the anointing cannot flow. The anointing stops at the head, but it doesn't flow over the body because the bride is in disagreement with the groom. Now, the groom says, I'm in charge, and the bride is saying, yes, after the rapture, you're in charge. But right now, we've got demons everywhere. Right now, we've got trouble. Right now, we've got Donald Trump. Whatever, right? So we're looking at world situations and world leaders, and we're not prophetically announcing coming into agreement with our husband, 
with our groom, with the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, that he's actually in charge. You're in charge of America. You're in charge of Donald Trump. You're in charge of our future. You're in charge of governments. And therefore, guess what? I would agree with one thing that's been happening. Corruption has to go. Corruption has to go. It has to go in Venezuela. It has to go in Korea. It has to go in the United States of America. It has to go in Canada. Well, I don't know. I don't think it's supposed to go till after the rapture. Go back and read it again. He's in charge. And if he's in charge, then every spirit, every force, every man, every word, every testimony that contradicts his leadership is false leadership. It's division. It's unclean, and it's to be removed. So this is how I've started prophetically praying. Is that all right? And I would encourage you to get ornery with this a little bit because, because you are critical and key. You are the bride of Christ. This is through marriage, through union, he's given you rule over the earth. He has restored authority and dominion to those who are knit to him in the earth because the earth now belongs to him. He has the supreme place in the earth in his humanity, not in his divinity. How many of you know he does exist in both? Yes? So let's just take a moment right now. We're going to take uh, 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 and just begin to prophesy, begin to declare, begin to lift up your voices. Your voice lifted up will give courage to the person beside you. And we'll just do this together for a few minutes. Lord, we agree right now. Corruption is removed from our nation. Corruption is removed from our nation. We agree that what the founders pinned, what they saw, what they ordained, what they believed, that this would be a nation under God, that that is restored, that that theme, that thought, that heart is restored. We agree that Jesus, his influence is supreme in our nation. His influence is supreme in our nation. We agree that those that have laid down our lives for the freedom that we enjoy today did not do it in vain. It will not be lost. It will not be be thwarted. They did that what they did for you, Lord Jesus, to be lifted up, for you to have place, for you to raise up a people after your own heart. And Lord, even as the framers and the founders saw that this was a refulfillment of Isaiah, this was the beginning of a holy people that were set apart unto God, who would raise up a nation for the purpose of God. We agree, Jesus, you're doing it. Jesus, you're doing it. You're not threatened by any demon. You're not threatened by any force. You're not threatened by any iniquity. You're not threatened by any philosophy that's happening. You're working out. You're working out your goodness in the earth. You're working out your goodness in the United States of America. And even as we've seen unrighteousness grow, we will see righteousness grow. Even we've seen a revival of unrighteousness in our nation, we will see a revival of righteousness. We will see a revival and a restoration of goodness, a restoration of purity, a restoration of holiness, a restoration of those who love you. And it'll be not out of legalism. It'll be out of the heart. It'll be out of the heart. It'll be out of the heart. You're raising up churches all across the nation. You're raising up believers across the nation. And we rejoice in what you're doing. Hallelujah. Yeah, give him a thank offering right now. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Yeah. Amen. You may be seated. 
Oh, I love that. There's so much hope for our future, so much hope for our children, for our schools, for our nation, for our government. There's so much hope. You know why? Because believers are waking up. Believe that God is energizing and quickening the hearts of believers, and he's showing us that there's hope because Jesus is supreme. Jesus is great. Amen? And he's going to do this. Guess what? You don't have to know how he's going to do it. That's what's fun. We don't have to know how he's going to do it. All we have to do is agree with our husband. The husband will get it done if we'll agree. Come on, you believe that? Isn't that fun? Wow. He's so good. All right, we're in Hebrews. Let's go over to Hebrews. Uh, what does that mean? I don't know. Uh, you, could, you could grab your... You had, did you bring a Bible? Well, uh, back in the old days, we would say, turn your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 1. But uh, today, we might say, open your phone to Hebrews chapter 1. Uh, and we'll get to that. But I want to give you a few verses. Uh, we gave you a little bit of an overview on Hebrews last week. Uh, we're jumping into that. And that's why the coffee card today said Hebrews. A little play on words. Uh, it doesn't mean that I will be making your coffee. It means you can just use that card like normal at the window. Uh, but nonetheless, this month, and as we go with this series, we'll have some fun with that. All right? Is that all right? Uh, so I actually wanted to put a cool verse on there, like uh, press on to the grounds you were called to. Something like that. I wanted to, you know, I wanted to put some, I was looking for a verse this week. I was telling Heidi, I'm looking for a verse this week. Like, you know, something like, you know, uh, you've been poured out like a drink offering. Yeah, I mean, we wanted, you know, something good, you know. Uh, you know, as persecution arose, they were roasted. No, that wouldn't be good. All right. All right. All right, we're going to run from that one. Run from that one. Okay, so some things about Hebrews. Number one is we don't know exactly who wrote it. However, Paul takes credit for it. It's in the uh, summation of the books of Paul that are uh, from manuscripts uh, as recent or as late as uh, AD 200. But we truly aren't sure that he wrote it. Uh, it could have been with Luke. It could have been with Timothy. It could have been with Apollos. Uh, it could have been with Priscilla and Aquila. So it could have been a, a collaboration as well. So some things about that. Uh, but what we do know is that we know it was written to Jewish people. It was written to Hebrews. So, and it wasn't meant, so many of the other epistles of Paul, they were written to a geographic region, Galatia, Ephesians, right? So they were written to a region, whereas this was written to Jewish believers everywhere, Jewish believers everywhere. So this was meant to encourage them. And part of what we were sharing last week is that persecution grew initially, Initially, Jews were persecuting the Jewish people who were not coming to the Lord. Initially, they were persecuting quite heavily their own people as they converted to Christ. So we know that with the stoning of Stephen, and that was about A.D. 36, and a great persecution arose, and that continued on. And so uh, there, was, there was much pressure... Uh, much pressure among those who, uh, all in, in all of Jerusalem, uh, there was much pressure among those who were not converting uh, to persecute, to even stone. And this is how Saul was accosted 
uh, on the road to Damascus by the Lord, remember that, uh, is he was maybe the greatest persecutor of those who came to know the Lord, those who became believers. So he's, he's on his animal, uh, whatever that was, right? Donkey, mule, something. Uh, and then uh, he's struck with a bright light. He's thrown off of that animal. Uh, he's blinded until Ananias comes and prays for him. Uh, to receive his sight. When he receives his sight, he receives the baptism, the infilling of the Holy Spirit at the same time. Uh, And he becomes then one of the greatest proponents to the Gentile people. But we know Peter had already started ministering to the Gentile people because we're told that in Acts chapter 10 and following where uh, Cornelius had a vision and Cornelius was a proselyte. He was, he was, uh, and he had a vision, and, and, and he was one who uh, was serving the Lord through Jewish faith. But he has this vision. He, uh, he, he's told to call for Peter. Peter comes to his house. And uh, so we know that that was the beginning of the gospel going out to Gentile people. We're, by the way, we're all Gentiles, so for the most part, maybe. I don't know. Uh, so uh, Joel and Melanie tell me that maybe I'm from the lost ten tribes, and sometimes I feel lost. But but I don't know. Wolf with an e. It's a it's wolf with an e. Uh, could be from the. And so Joel and Melanie have some Jewish uh, history uh, lineage uh, in them as well. Some of you might, and you don't know it actually. Would that be all right? That'd be kind of cool. So there's the 10 lost tribes and the 10 lost tribes. We don't know where all they scattered to, but some of us uh, have some of our roots, some of our etymology, some of our background uh, in that. So, uh, but for the most part, we might consider ourselves Gentiles today. We've come out of other nations, uh, not out of Israel, and we don't know for sure that we're Jewish, so we would be considered Gentiles And so what was happening here is that the writer was not so concerned with the Gentiles who were coming to know the Lord. That would have been the Ephesians, the Galatians, the Philippians. Those are all Gentiles. But this this book is meant uh, to convince the Jewish people who were now under huge persecution from their own, but also persecution was growing uh, in the nations, and persecution was growing in Rome. So we, we see the largest persecution was advanced against them in AD 64 by Nero. Uh, but before that, there were persecutions and growing and mounting persecutions. This was probably written right around the beginning of Nero's reign. So right around AD 64, because the temple was destroyed in AD 70, but during the book, the temple still does exist. Uh, Later in Nero's reign, uh, Christians were being slaughtered all across Rome, all across Italy. So uh, the persecution grew unto death. But when he wrote the book, uh, he says in chapter 13, you've not yet resisted unto the shedding of your blood. But he writes the book to tell them, don't turn back. Whatever you do, no matter how hot it gets, no matter how bad the pressure is, no matter how bad things are, don't forsake your faith. So he's, he's telling them, and this, is, this, this whole book is, uh, is, is written to convince them of the superiority of Jesus, even if they have to give their lives. Even if they have to give their lives, the superiority of Jesus is so great 
that he's worth dying for. He's worth dying for. Yeah? How many of you know that's powerful? If we, if we have decided that Jesus, if we've come to the revelation, if we've come to the grace where we know that he is worth dying for, then we'll live for him with passion. And this is, the, this is much of the argument of the Hebrews. Uh, some of the verses we touched on, uh, a couple of them. Hebrews 2, 1. For this reason, we must pay closer attention to what we've heard so we don't drift away from it. Hebrews 3, 6. But Christ was faithful as a son over his house, whose house we are, if we hold fast our confidence and the boast of our hope firm until the end. If that means offered up, Uh, as a torch at night, if that means we're going to be beheaded, if that means the seizing of our property, if that means the loss of our children, if we hold fast, hold firm to the end. Hebrews 3.12, take care, brethren, that there may not be any one of you with an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God, but encourage one another day after day as long as it's still called today. How many of you know this is part of the power of the body of Christ, by the way? It's so important that we have somebody to encourage us. It's so important that we're encouraging one another. When, when the times or the seasons or the pressure or the culture where the influence is against what we know, what we believe, what's dear to us, it's so important that we're encouraging one another, that we're building one another up, that we're strengthening, that we're not finding fault with one another day and night, that we aren't throwing friendly fire at one another, that we aren't one another's greatest critics, yes, come on, the church, the church is called to encourage one another. Hebrews 6.11, we want each of you to show this same diligence to the very end so that we, so, so that you, so that what you hope for may be fully realized. We do not want you to become lazy, but to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what is promised. Again, that theme, that theme is going throughout the whole book. Hebrews ten twenty three. let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful, and let us consider how to spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. Now, by the way, we'll touch on this a little bit, but they actually saw light at the end of the tunnel. If they could get through this period, this period of great persecution and great distress, there was actually a light at the end of the tunnel where their enemies would be judged and where there would be a shift and they would actually move into the next age. So this is kind of interesting because in Ephesians chapter 1, Paul writes to the Ephesians and he says that, Jesus has been exalted to the right hand of the Father, that he's been given his name above every name that is named, above and on the earth and below. And it says in, 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 in Ephesians 1.21, uh, not only in this age, but in the age to come. So there was something going on with the church community of that time where they actually understood or saw that there was light at the end of the tunnel, where there, they were actually moving toward a period of day. They were actually moving to a period of great brightness. And, and this is part of the, the fullness of the passage that we read in Isaiah chapter 60 even concerning 
where it says, Arise and shine, for your light has come. The glory of the Lord has risen upon you. Part of what was happening there is, is they saw that that was to be fulfilled. They saw that that was to be fulfilled. And so here they're told to hang on all the more and to meet together and to encourage one another all the more as they see the day approaching. Everybody say the day. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, since we're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. We too have a race to run, yeah? Let's go to Hebrews chapter 1, and uh, I want to dive in and read a bunch of the chapter, maybe, or a good portion of it. Uh, and, of course, we're, uh, we're going to run out of time as usual, um, but we're going to get through some of this. Chapter 1, I'm reading of the New American Standard Bible. Is that all right? God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers in the prophets... In many portions and in many ways, in these last days, has spoken to us in his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. And he is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature and upholds all things by the word of his power. When he had made purification of sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much better than the angels as he has inherited a more excellent name than they. Now, this is interesting. Chapter 1, he's going to spend a lot of time, actually in chapter 1 and chapter 2, comparing Jesus to the prophets and to the angels. And the Jewish people would have known and revered the prophets and the angels. They know the law came through angelic revelation and the law was given to one who became the mediator, Moses. And Moses was a prophet, Abraham, a prophet. And so they would, they would have had this tremendous reverence for the prophets and for the angels. But now Jesus is greater. This is what the writer wants us to know. This is what the writer wanted them to know is that, and again, what they were tempted to do, the great temptation was to go back to the law, to go back to the synagogue, to escape persecution by going back, by going back, by going back to what they knew. And here the writer is saying, Jesus is greater. Jesus is supreme. Jesus, Jesus is the one. And so let's pick it up again at verse 5. For which of the angels did he ever say, you are my son, today I have begotten you? And again, he says, I will be a father to him, and he shall be a son to me. Never said that to an angel. Now, the angels have had a huge part all throughout the first covenant, the old covenant, the, the beginning of that which we have by Scripture. But all of the Jewish people, the angels, were often making those visitations. The angels were often bringing revelation and insight and words and direction. But again, he's saying now, Jesus is supreme. Jesus is superior, even by the way Father addresses him. Father calls him a son. Father declares he's begotten him. 
going on. And when he again brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all of the angels of God worship him. Oh, here's something about his superiority. The superiority of Jesus is so great that the angels are going to worship him. This is who the angels are going to worship. Verse 7 of the angels, he says this. And so here's a little commentary of angels. The angels, he says, he makes the, him, who makes his angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire. Now, that's great. That's vast. That's amazing. But of the sun, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. And the righteous scepter is the scepter of his kingdom. You have loved righteousness, by the way. This is, these are, again, declarations about Jesus, about the Son. You have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness or iniquity. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness above your companions or above all others. Above all others, he's been anointed with this oil of gladness. His scepter the scepter of his kingdom is the scepter of righteousness, and then it declares, he declares here, that he loves righteousness and hates lawlessness. By the way, I often let that be an adjustment on my heart. These are, these are things that can be adjustments to our heart. Anybody ever need your heart adjusted? Yeah, because I find within me a carnality that needs to be crucified. I find within me desires that actually like unrighteousness, But when I examine this, I see something here. I see the wisdom of God coming through our leader, our forerunner, our pioneer Jesus, that if we allow, if we allow attraction to iniquity to flourish, then the oil of gladness is removed from us. How many of you want the oil of gladness on your life? This is not laughing at a good joke. This is an inner energy of grace, of presence within you. An unstoppable oil of gladness that no matter what you're up against or what you're going through or what's ahead of you or what you've seen or what you're experiencing, there is an oil. How many of you know oil makes things run smoother? Drain the oil out of your car when it's under combustion pressure and heat. And what's going to happen? You're going to fry those bearings. You're not going to go far, are you? Oil brings this viscosity of cushioning to those things that are experiencing heat and pressure so that even in the midst of such, there can be expression. And for us, that expression, that expression that Jesus walked in. It was his character. It was his essence. It was his being was the oil of gladness. Some of you want that in your life. So that's, that's part of why as we read about him, we're reading about our pioneer, our forerunner. We're reading about one who in his redemptive work, he's ordained that we can be like him. So as we experience, as we, as we sense, as we taste of, Conflict on the inside, feelings, emotions, desires 
that are contrary to Jesus, we're able to bring those to the cross. We're able to bring those to the cross. We're able to leave those right there at the cross. We're able to declare those things are put to death. We are dead to them. They are dead to us so that we can become and walk in and continue to abide in a partaking of righteousness, a love for righteousness, a hatred and enmity for iniquity, and we can be partakers of the oil of gladness. Amen? Lord, we receive that this morning. Lord, we want some gladness bombs to go off in our midst right now. Even in here, Lord, we just welcome, we welcome the love, the inner love for righteousness, the abhorring of iniquity, the very nature of the Lord within us to be fully developed and fully matured and the oil of gladness to be rich in our hearts. Amen? Going on, verse 10. And you, Lord, in the beginning laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. And they will become old like a garment, and like a mantle you will roll them up. Like a garment they will be changed, but you are the same. Your years will not come to an end. And to which of the angels does he say, set at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to render service for the sake of those who will inherit salvation? This is interesting. This is interesting. We're given a picture right here. We're given a picture of Jesus having a body, by the way, of which he does. And we are, we're given a picture of him having a body, but we're given a picture of something metaphoric in his body because when we're given a picture of Jesus having a body and Scripture clearly says we are that body as well, not only his present body at the right hand of the Father as the victorious man, as the risen man, as the glorified man, as the supreme man, as the representative for all of us. But we have this picture in that when he shows us, when we see that he has a body, and Paul talks about this to the Gentiles, to the Ephesians in chapter 1, then we have this picture that God is putting our enemies under our feet as well. Because we two are the body of Christ. We too are the body of Christ. And even the lowliest of us would qualify as the feet. Even the lowliest of us. That one thinking right now, well, I'm not sure that I measure up to anything like that, and I'm not sure that God would want to do anything good for me, and I'm not sure, and, you know, my pedigree is not very high, and my education is very low, and, and, and my qualifications are not very great, and my inheritance and my family, they're the lowest of the low. Well, you qualify for the feet at the very least, and God is putting all of the enemies of those who are joined to Jesus under his feet. Anybody joined to Jesus? Come on, anybody joined to Jesus? 
Anybody married to the beloved? Anybody knit to him? Anybody adoring him? Anybody trusting in Jesus for the fullness of their life? Those of us who are trusting in him fully and we've knit our hearts to him and we've, we've declared him to be our salvation and our restoration and our help and our deliverance, Father is putting our enemies under our feet. This is, this is, again, I might say this is a good time for the wife to get in agreement with the husband. Because even the husband might have a hard time bringing forth the victory that is yours through this very revelation if you continue to in your heart and in your mouth and in your life and in your walk elevate your enemies even higher than Jesus or elevate your enemies until some given day way off out there somewhere. Oh, I know, I know someday, someday I'm going to be victorious. Oh, I know, I know, I know there's a, there's a coming day I'm going to be, I'm going to be victorious. That's a trick in a scheme of the enemy. Putting your, fut- your victory off into the future is a trick in a scheme of the enemy that keeps you from experiencing the overcoming power of victory right now. This is something that he has done and something that he is now doing. And I think we have a part to play in it. Progressively, 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 he's putting all of the Lord's enemies under his feet. Did you know that this verse right here corresponds perfectly with Isaiah chapter 9, 6, and 7? Of the increase of his government of peace, there shall be no end. This verse corresponds. We see that the kingdom's growing. It corresponds with Matthew thirteen thirty one. He sowed, he threw some leaven into three pecks of meal, and he allowed it to leaven until all was leavened. This scripture talks about that progressive influence of the kingdom, not only in the earth, but in our hearts, in our lives. You believe that? I wanted to talk about the last days, uh, but um, I've only got two seconds. Chapter 1 of chapter 1 verse 1 we just read it In these last days God has spoken to us in his son Did that just skip over your brain right there In these what days That's weird I thought these were the last days Did did you just see what I just read In these last days, he has spoken to us in his son. Now, I want to throw another theological angle at you that we potentially have misappropriated the last days and that if we misappropriate a time or a season, then we're also going to misappropriate. It says of the children of Issachar, they knew the times, they knew of the season, so they knew what to do. 
These are, we're actually living in days of victory. Do you remember on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit was poured out? Acts chapter 2, verse 16. Do you remember what happened? Peter got up and he says, and, they, and, and, and everyone that saw this happening said, what's up with this? These guys are drunk with wine. And, and, and Peter gets up and he says, they can't be drunk. It's 9 in the morning. It's too early for drunkenness. But this is what the prophet Joel spoke in the last days. In the what? So something that we something that we got to connect with is that 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 the season or the period of promise continues from Abraham forward. And Christ is the seed of the fulfillment of the promise made to Abraham. So on the timeline, the season of promise continues into the new covenant. But the law was added until the seed would come. And so the season of the law, it came over here with Moses. But then the dispensation of law came to a fulfillment in Christ who said in Matthew 5, I didn't come to abolish but to fulfill so that season is now full and fulfilled. And when that happened in its full, by the way, the symbol, the sign of that happening in the full was the temple being destroyed. In AD 70, the temple was destroyed. And when the temple and the sacrificial system was destroyed, it was the final word from God saying that I no longer dwell in a building, I dwell in your heart. I no longer dwell in a building. I dwell in you. You have fully become the temple of the Holy Spirit. And so that was the end of that dispensation or that season and that period leading from AD 33 until AD 70 was called the last days. Second Peter 2.13 says, Second Peter 3.13 says, we are looking for a day where righteousness dwells. Oh, there's so many good verses on this. First uh, John two eighteen. I can't. How many of you know this is deeper than we have time for? First John two eighteen. Children, it is the last hour, and just as you heard the antichrist is coming, how even now many antichrists have appeared. First Peter one eighteen. I need the band to come. We need to close. Move into our first closing. First Peter 1.18, knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers, but with precious blood as of a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ, for he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but has appeared in these last times for the sake of you. Now there's verse after verse after verse that showed, that shows that actually they were living in the last days. And the Holy Spirit was poured out in the last days. And we are living in the new days. Corresponding with Ephesians 1.21, not only in this age, but in the age to come. We're living actually in the age that Paul said is to come. We're living in that age. We're living in an age of power, of grace, of anointing, of increase of the kingdom, of the exaltation of Jesus. We're, we're living in the most powerful age ever, but people have come along. I want to tell you this, and we'll stand as we do. Let's stand this morning. It's still morning. We're going to try to shut the preacher up. 
Too many have come along and tried to water down the greatness of what you have and what you've received. Too many have come along and tried to say, oh, you should expect the increase of the Antichrist, the increase of trouble, the increase of more sin, the increase of more lawlessness. Too many have come along applying the last day's scriptures to today and therefore harming your faith and your courage to believe that these are the greatest days ever, 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 ever on planet Earth. It's true, and we're about to see restoration among the Jewish people like never before. And as Grant Berry said when he was here, as the Jewish people start coming into Yeshua and accepting Jesus as Messiah, it's going to be like a blossoming power to the whole earth. Some of you are looking at me like, uh, like the cow looking at the new gate, like the deer in the headlights. But uh, anyway, I submit this to you and, uh, and ask you to be a crazy person to join me in this quest of believing that the best is still ahead of us. Believing, even confessing, even agreeing. The word confess, you know what the word confess means? It comes from two words, homo logos, homo logos. It means to say the same thing as God says. Say the same thing the Word of God says. There's so much power in us agreeing with God, agreeing with our husband, agreeing with the exalted one, agreeing with him who is supreme above the angels, above the prophets, above the law. There's so much power in that. There's so much power with you agreeing that right now Father is subduing all of your enemies. As you walk with Christ, as you, as you partake of, of, of his life, the Father is busy subduing your enemies and causing you to arise and shine and be that righteous branch in the earth. Lord, we thank you for the exaltation of Jesus. Father, we thank you that, that he is supreme above all, above all, above all, above all. I want to open the front and just allow us to come and just reflect on him, worship him, adore him as we go this morning. If you've got to run off, that's all right. But as we close this morning, we just want to recognize the supremacy of Jesus, that he is supreme. He's above all. He's the risen one. He's the image of Father. Lord Jesus, we welcome your greatness, your glory, your Shekinah, the Shekinah of the first covenant to brightly shine in our midst. The supremacy of Jesus. For we know who that Shekinah is now. We know that every Shekinah is Jesus, is you. It's, it's, you, it's your appearing. It's your radiance. And so we just say yes to a partnership with you, a friendship with you and the oil of gladness to permeate our lives. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, bless you, church. Come on, sing this out.